Hello. Welcome back to King of the Ride podcast. Happy start to your holiday season. I hope your turkey is brining. I hope that your can of pumpkin has been procured for your Thanksgiving pie. I hope your holiday shopping is off to a terrific start, if that is your thing. Basically, my friends, happy holidays from me to you. And speaking of terrific starts, Haley Batten, our guest today, has had an amazing start to her first year in the elite women's cross-country mountain bike ranks. She stormed the scene with a podium in her first ever World Cup race. Soon thereafter, she won a World Cup short track. And this summer, she represented the U.S. and was America's top finisher at the Tokyo Olympics, going top 10. My friends, Haley is just getting warmed up. Remember this name. This girl has got some energy. It was great catching up with Haley as she is on campus in one of her, let's call it, alternating semesters. She races one semester away from school, and then she'll go back and study embracing academia the next. Back and forth, back and forth. Now, as a product of collegiate cycling myself, I'm always pumped when I hear about cyclists getting into the sport even younger, even earlier than I was able to. So Haley is an example of that. She was a standout NICA athlete. NICA, of course, being the high school mountain bike league that is coast to coast here in America. Nike is a common theme on this podcast. This conversation is going to cover everything that has gotten Haley to her level of success, racing with the world's best, and where she's off to next. Okay, let's see, let's see. Quick status update to anyone who's following along with my busted elbow. I have been back riding for a whole week, which feels terrific. I am stuck indoors, but let's be honest, that's, that is just as well, because it is time to hibernate here in Vermont. Furthermore, I'm outfitted in all of Saris's finest. Better yet, I was just out at Saris HQ in Madison, Wisconsin. I visited their office. I saw their incredible factory right here on American soil where they are manufacturing their bike racks, their trainers, and their really cool pieces of cycling infrastructure to help put more people happily and safely on bikes. So I am exercising my H3 trainer and my MP1 platform right there snug up against my trainer desk to log those soon-to-be winter miles. It is so nice to be back riding. If you're in the market for a trainer or rack, do yourself a favor and look no further than Saris. They're helping me get back into the swing of things as I recover and heal from this injury, and I know that they can help you out too. Okay. That said, enough about me. Let's kick things off. My friends, here is my conversation with Haley Batten. Let's jump right in. Where where are you right now? I'm in Squamish, BC. Yeah, I go to university here, so... I'm here in the winter and, and fall, which is kind of funny because this is like technically the worst weather, but I love it still. So yep. it's been great. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so catching up in early November, um, how are you? Way big picture question. Like, how are you looking mm-hmm. back in the year that you've had and, and, and all things considered? Yeah, gosh, it's still kind of challenging to absorb because really, I mean, as you know, once a race season starts, it happens so fast. Like you do all this work in the base season and you're like, oh, 
patiently waiting for the races and then the first one comes and then after that it's like bam 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 you're traveling all over you're going to all these races so I think now like looking back I can finally be like okay like that was an awesome season like I definitely had yeah all the highs and lows that you usually have in a season but I think overall like some awesome takeaways and no it's definitely not what I expected so I'm, I'm <laughs> leaving super happy and really motivated for what's next for sure yeah that's awesome yeah. um Okay, so so jumping into the way way back machine, um, uh-huh. walk me through your upbringing. What is it like? I mean, a bit of international flavor to it. Uh, siblings, parents, <laughs> what's going on all through your youth? Oh gosh, okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, so I have a I have a younger brother, and then um, my two parents. Yeah, I grew up. I was born in Fort Collins, Colorado, actually. And then um, for a couple of years, we lived in Germany for a bit. And I think that's actually where I learned how to ride a bike um, was in, I think, Switzerland, maybe even. I'm not sure. But yeah, pretty fun. Just like definitely got used to traveling around. I grew up doing lots of road trips and camping. So I think for me, yeah, like just being able to travel and see different cultures and use the bike as a tool to explore other places has always been just part of my life, I think. And I think that's also helped me like be adaptable with this career as well as you just learn how to accept, you know, the, the, the challenges of traveling and being comfortable in different places besides your own bed or your own home. Yeah. So I definitely, yeah, grew up with that a little bit, but I mostly grew up in Park City, Utah. And, um, the, the cycling scene there is just really incredible. That's yeah. That's where I started racing. My dad was doing the local races there and um, yeah, I fell in love with, with it pretty early on. And I just had a group of friends, mostly guys that I would race with and ride with all the time and lots of races. You could do like races twice a week, you know, the, the midweek races and the races on Saturday. So yeah, just racing a lot and having a blast. And I think I just got hooked pretty young. I was doing other sports too, like Nordic skiing and Alpine skiing for fun. So I think, yeah, my parents kept us busy and, and school as well. So I think, yeah, I don't know, just traveling and having a good time, doing a bunch of sports, and uh-huh. yeah, here I am. Awesome. Uh, how about the yeah the stint in in Europe, in Germany, in Switzerland? What mm-hmm. what instigated the international travel? Was it a choice of your parents or, or sort of mandatory job positioning? Yeah, just my dad's job. Yeah, he's a mechanical engineer, so um, he was working for uh, Hewlett Packard at the time there. And, uh, yeah, we just, I don't know. My parents just, they're, they've always just been up for, up for it. They always just go for it when something arises. And yeah, right now they're, they've been in California for the past three years too. So every time something pops up, they just kind of go for it. And yeah, yeah, so we were just there for two years and I think, yeah, we all loved it. It was awesome. Like it was such a good period for us. Like me and my brother got super close, like our whole family, you just learn how to, I don't know, be adaptable, be in a different language and, try new things. So no, it was, it was wonderful. We had a great time. It's such a fun culture there too, for sure. So different. Do you think, so, uh, specifically how old were you like at the beginning of that guess? Yeah, I think I was like four or five. So right before oh. first grade, like when okay. we, when we moved to park city, I was in first grade. I was young. Yeah. Yep. Super young. Gotcha. So it wasn't like you were yeah. 12 and you were being torn away from family and friends and no, where there no, might be absolutely. a little bit more apprehension. I mean, yeah. Talk about a perfect yeah time and place. Super yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. I ended up just like being in, in park city, like all the way from elementary school through, through high school. I think my parents moved to California when my brother was a senior. So he had to do like the last year, senior <laughs> year in California, uh-huh. which I think was a bit challenging, but I think he also loved it too, just cause 
yeah, I mean, I think it was really hard, but he got, he met, met a lot of people and yeah, yeah. I think he had fun. Yep. Um, so in, in a similar context, I've heard you talk about higher education, um, in a really mm -hmm. unique and, and, and thoughtful light. Um, so I want to open up a mm -hmm. can of worms here with, with a thought. If I say higher education is wasted on the youth, what do you think mm. of that? What do, what do you exactly mean? Do you mean higher education meaning, is wasted on the youth? Meaning you, um, I, I, I heard you say something to the effect of like, there's, there's just sort of this typical understanding that you're going to go from elementary school to high school to college. Mm -hmm. If you're a college bound mm -hmm. person and, and it's just part yeah. of the routine, but there's not much thought process to it. And then especially, you know, where I am in life, I'm 38 years old. I look back at college and I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like I wish I could go now, especially now. Yeah. You're on yeah. an a traditional track that's not boom, one, two, three, four years through college. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about your, your collegiate uh, higher education experience. Yeah, yeah. I think you're so right. I think that education is like such a huge opportunity and there's so much yeah, to explore and grow and your brain has so much opportunity to really change and explore different things and ask questions. And I think that when we're put on like the elementary, high school, university track, you're almost just going through the motions and not really understanding like why you're there. Why should I study for this test? Why should I know what they're through all this information they're throwing at me? But the way the brain works is you can't really learn well that way. It has to be engaged just emotionally. Like you can't the reason we store information is because we think it's important just from evolution. That's survival. You can't waste energy on something that doesn't matter. Uh -huh. And so I think that just, I, I'm, I feel like I'm lucky in high school. I kind of like woke up to that a little bit. I was like, gosh, like even just applying for universities, I was like, they all kind of seem the same. I don't really want to just like sit in a lecture and just be thrown information at me. I want to find what I'm passionate about and be able to explore that. And um, yeah, just, yeah. Ask big questions and see, see where it takes me. So, yeah, I feel like also, I mean, as an athlete, you do go through a, a phase where you're like, okay, do I commit to this fully and not go to, you know, college or do I actually, yeah, try and do both. Uh -huh. And so that also played a role at the university I am in now it's the block program. So you take one course at a time. So that allows me to be like, okay, I basically go to school from October to March and yeah, it extends my college experience and how long I'll be in university. But, um, that way I'm like, okay, racing starts April, March, whenever it does. Okay. I gotta go. Like I can't, it's too hard. I think to try and balance both in a way that makes you hate both of that makes sense. Yep. Like when you're too overloaded, it's, it's really hard and you're more stressed about trying to be excellent in both things and not doing either of them very well. So for me, that allows me to come here during the winter when my training is just starting to build up, get some courses done, kind of step out my comfort zone again a little bit. Every time I come back, especially after COVID, like I took a lot of time out, off just to focus on the Olympics. I was like, all right, my brain definitely has to wake up a bit. It's, <laughs> it's totally different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's been great. And um, no, I love Squamish and the university here. Yeah. It's, it's build your own major, build your own degree. So liberal arts and sciences, but you kind of guide what your focus is on your own. And, uh, so it's been super fun and I absolutely love it. So did you, did you go to a traditional high school Were you at, uh, yeah, I did go to a charter school in middle school. So that was a little bit outside the public, um, education system. But other than that, yeah, it was public education, like traditional park city high school yeah. growing up. So, yeah. 
And then come senior year or junior year, presumably, and you're, and you're applying to yeah. schools, like you said, they seemed a little bit sort of, there's like a standardization, you know, liberal arts is liberal yeah. arts is liberal arts, no matter where you are, it seems. Yeah. At what point does Quest University hit your radar as something that's going to be, you know, quite a bit different and, and cater to you really well? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I was, um, it was just a friend that had gone to Colorado Springs, Colorado College there. They also use the block program. And um, she had done a couple blocks abroad at Quest and just like loved being here in Squamish, like at, near Whistler for a couple yeah. blocks. And she's like, you should go check out um, Quest. And I was like, okay. And I was in, in Canada too. There's a bunch of universities. There's one on, you know, there's Vancouver, UBC, and then there's Kelowna, UBC, and then um, another one on the island. So I was like, okay, I'll just maybe go check out a few schools up here. I guess maybe it's just the traveler in me too. I just like didn't really it didn't even cross my mind like senior year that I'd be like going to a different country. I'd just like figure it out, you know? Um, but no, honestly, like I just stepping onto the campus, I was like totally fell in love with just the whole area. I mean, yeah, just BC is pretty incredible. It's one of a kind. And I don't want to speak too highly of it because <laughs> I don't want everybody to come, but it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the the university too, like just getting a tour on campus from the the students that went there just because it is, like a build your own major and everybody has a question that kind of defines what that major is. Just, you could just see the students eyes light up whenever they talked about it. It's like, Oh, what's your question? And they'll just like, they could talk forever about it just because they know the ins and outs of what they're studying and why they're studying it and why it's so important to them. So I just think being able to see that passion and the reason why they're there and so excited about what they're studying just, yeah, it just, I was, yeah, I fell in love, I think, just being on campus. And I and I try to tell that to any NICA students that I talk to now, like being able to go to the school and really see the environment that you're going to be in and the students and the like the type of vibe that will be there is so important, I think. It's not possible all the time, but I think to know, especially as a student athlete, like what you're trying to trying to train or see what the area is like to make sure that you can do both and be happy in the environment that you're in, I think is is super important. Sure. Did did you end up applying to other schools? Did you apply to CC? My brother went to Colorado College, so I'm very familiar with block. Okay, programs. cool. Yeah. Um, did you apply to other schools, or was it like Quest one of one? Yeah, so Quest quickly became my number one, which is kind of funny because it's such a small university. But I actually applied to Cal Poly, so I got in there for I think like kinesiology or something. So that was my other time. And it's funny because that's where my brother goes now, and that's actually where Christopher Blevins goes. So Cal Poly was like top of my list as well. Um, and a couple others, but no, pretty quickly after like coming to the campus, I, I definitely was like, Oh, quest is top of my list. But I think it's, yeah, you definitely have to have options for sure. Like going through that process. Yeah. Yeah. How, well, for one, what is your question and how rigorous mm -hmm. is the school in helping you hone your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my question is how can education be optimized to inspire so I think I think part of my deciding to go to Quest and this process of understanding that I really value the education system and think that it's such an important opportunity for everybody, um, I was like, oh, that that should totally be my question, you know. And I think also as being an athlete, you have this opportunity to be in a different kind of learning setting. I think where you learn a lot of life school skills and you learn the importance of how your how you sleep, how you eat, all of these things that you're you get to as your job prioritize your well-being impacts everything that you do in life. And in school, a lot of that gets sacrificed because 
either it's not well known, like the impacts of sleep or, you know, the gut microbiome and the powers of that. And like all these different connections and in your body that affect like how you're able to learn and your memory is actually stored. So I think um, for me, I wanted to bring all that together into something that really applies what we know in science and actually implements it into a school system so that students are really able to, I don't know, reach their full potential and um, apply themselves as much as possible to their educational process. And with regards to how rigorous it is, the, the, the block system is great, except for the, that when you are there for a month and in one course, it is super demanding for one month because you're trying to fit a lot of material in and it's not test-based. So you're not just studying for a midterm or the final. It's a lot of essay writing and reading. And like, just so like, if you don't read the night before, it's because it's so discussion-based, everybody in the class will know and the teacher will know. So it's, it's being able to really read and understand what you're learning and then be able to communicate it to a lot of people and then be able to present on it and do all these different elements of learning. So yeah, with regards to like right now I'm in neurobiology and I'm lucky. I thought going into, I was worried. I was like, oh no, my training is going to start and I'm going to be at this really hard class. It's luckily been like not as high of a workload as I thought it would be, which is great. But um, it's definitely a lot of information that you're learning in a short time. But but Quest is really good at allowing you to really dive into your question, know which classes to take. And uh, they want to make sure you're not just wandering. So there's a lot of like making sure you know what you're doing, what classes you need to take to actually meet what your question is and how to define it. So yeah, it's, it's well organized in that sense. Nice. Um, and then to our perhaps uninformed audience, if you're not familiar with the block program, it means, as you were just alluding to, you're studying yes. one course for four weeks mm-hmm. straight, three and a half weeks straight. It's literally one course as opposed to yes. a traditional four, five, six class uh, compounded yep. upon itself. So yeah, super intense and really, really yeah. cool. It's like three hours a day in the classroom, I think. And then yeah, three and a half weeks, exactly. Um, so yeah, backtrack to, I, I, Grew up playing traditional sports through high school, and then it wasn't until I got to college that uh, I found cycling. And it's really cool mm-hmm. programs like NICA that allow uh, yeah. the introduction of cycling earlier and earlier. What was what was your balance like in high school with with NICA with basically academics and athletics? Like, was how did you? What were your skills to to find success with that balance? Yeah. And it's funny, like looking back, because I think when I was in it, I I definitely set my goals for cycling pretty early on. I think I was 14 when I was like, okay, I want to go to the Olympics. Like, this is my thing. Like I was pretty, yeah, pretty young. And I was definitely doing it. Like I loved cross country skiing too. So that was my other sport that I was kind of um, like, oh gosh, okay. I really like this too. Um, but like going in high school, like, and looking back, I realized how weird I was, but I was definitely very focused. Like I knew what my priorities were and I knew that I wanted to get good grades and I knew that I really wanted to perform and what I was doing. So I definitely like, I was social and I had friends and I was like doing that stuff, but I definitely like had my, like I was very planned and I was doing everything that I wanted to do. And I was training every day and like the freezing cold, no matter what, you know? Uh-huh. So I think I knew what my priorities were then. And I definitely, um, 
trained then, like not that far off from what I was I'm doing now, like just balance wise between the two. And then when I got, when Nika started, it, it was the second year, I think when I was a freshman. So I got to do, I was involved. That was happening um, when I was in high school. And it's since, cause I just visited their state championships in Utah. It's like taken off. So to see the difference from like when I was there and what it is now, but what Nika really does is it, I think as an individual sport, you almost forget that you don't have to do it alone. And I think that that's what I was trying to do is like, Oh, it has to just be me. It's just like, I got to do this to like prove that I, I can do this, you know? And I think what the high school cycling reminded me of that it is a team. Like you need these people around you in this community to really make you be successful and enjoy the journey. So I'm really lucky for that for sure. But I think that, um, Nike for me, it was like super fun and about like having the community, but I think my eyes definitely, even then were just like on the national races and, and Europe and going to Europe and stuff. So I think that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, but no, I'm really grateful that I got to be a part of that and, and get to help out now and just like still have that community. And that's the coolest part about Utah is like, I still feel those connections. And I talked to the people that were involved um, in my career back then too. Nice. How about, I believe, what, were you 17 when you joined Cliff Pro Cycling? I mean, the, the Cliff Pro team? Yeah, gosh, I must have. Yeah, I think you're right. I was 17. I had just been on the whole athlete development program and then my final year, junior year. So I think you're right. I was 17. Yeah, I got onto the, the Luna Pro team at the time and the Cliff Pro team, yeah, which is like huge opportunity looking back. Like I was so lucky, but that connection was also made from NICA for sure. Like the relationships that I made um, through those people, um, Austin that was, you know, running NICA at the time was well connected with um, Dave Mack that ran the, the Cliff Pro team. So all those connections that I made and, and that's what, yeah, you connect, no matter how hard you work, how you communicate with people and those relationships you build really impact like who, you know, and the opportunities you get. So for sure, like I, I give a lot of um, thanks and credit to, to Nika for like helping me make that happen because that was for sure. I think like a game changer in my career. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I got to be on that team. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so cool to hear Nika's stories. I've had Austin on the podcast um, yeah, cool. to witness the success of of Nika, which is just sort of dwarfing mm -hmm. what USA Cycling has done in terms of bringing kids on bikes. And and you know yeah. it's such a holistic thing. Like in general, good cyclists or cyclists in general are just good people. They're good students. They're good all of these things. Yeah, that's sort of a side note. How on earth as a 17-year-old do you balance being a professional cyclist? I mean, it's such a in my mind, it's such a big step to go from Nika as an as a student athlete to mm -hmm. a pro as a student athlete. Or in your mind, was it just sort of a continuation on a slightly higher level? Yeah, I think I'm lucky because the way I took the steps was kind of one at a time instead of shifting from like the junior category into the under 23 category and being on a new pro team. I think I was lucky that I got to like get on the pro team where they had low expectations. Like they were just trying to like, you know, kind of bring me in, like get me comfortable. And then after that, I jumped into the under 23 category. So I was pretty lucky about those transitions, but still like that winter, I think I was still in high school leading into my under 23 season. I'm pretty sure. So I was still, Oh wait, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so 
I think that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, but I think just in my mind, it was normal for me. And it's like what I wanted so bad. So I think I just like continued, um, with, yeah, just what I was doing and what was working for me, but also like you're you're right. That type of motivation that you get from being on like a new team and wanting to, yeah, prove yourself in a way. Um, but yeah, I think high school is demanding, but it's not nearly like the college level, but at the time it's, yeah, you're definitely got a lot on your plate, but I think, yeah, I'm lucky that I learned those skills of balancing things then because I've definitely used a lot of those, um, yeah, strategies today as well. Um, so yeah, thinking of the team dynamic, you know, you're there your first year with Cliff. Um, you, you also do a year with Specialized. Um, you are now mm-hmm. with Trinity Racing. My, mm-hmm. my experience comes from World Tour Cycling, where, where yeah. I, I think, and, and perhaps our audience is more familiar with that model. You sign a contract yeah. and you have all the support from Swaneur's mechanics, team directors with a team. The mm-hmm. concept of mountain bike teams is still very nebulous to me. So it might be an mm-hmm. incredibly crude, easy answer, but like, what is it like to be on a pro mountain bike team? Yeah, I think, I think Cliff is unique in the fact that they really have like one manager, Valdek, who is like incredible. He does everything. He's like the manager. He's also, you know, making everybody coffees, doing massage. Um, <laughs> and then they also have one mechanic. So he had like four, six athletes and just the two of them, like two man team. Or, so we had a second mechanic too. And um, so they were like pretty, it was very at home. To, like it felt very family vibes. And then transitioning to specialize, I think you get more of that. I'm not sure how, I obviously don't know like what being on world tour is like. It's, I know it's the next level. You got all the buses and like a lot of teams. It's really like very pro. Um, But it's, it gets one step closer to that. I think like we have the huge setup at the races and we have a lot of, a lot of hands on deck, a lot more staff and, um, and things like that. And you're definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely world's cup you know it's it's that whole scene and uh everybody's there and and trying to make the team absolutely excellent so for me it was even though I'd been on a pro team for so long I think just having been a junior and it was really my family being on specialized factory was like such a different thing in a way um and then but I think it is a step closer than that like two road racing maybe like we have yeah we have all the fit we've got a couple physios mechanic mechanics um and they each have like their their riders that they work with and then um the main things like unlike we don't have to drive around to all the different you know spots like you guys do but we have yeah they basically have to help us with warm up our equipment as we're pre-riding every day lots of like you know tires we're like always like pre-riding and testing okay what are the conditions going to do so we're changing like tires and um chain rings that kind of thing um, and then they're just in the feed zone, you know, doing water bottles and, and hoping we don't come in with our bikes. But yeah, no kidding. Other than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's pretty cool. And then Trinity has been cool just cause they bring a bit more of that, that mindset, I think of road racing, um, that I think sometimes in mountain biking, we get used to the bubble that we're in and how things are always done. So it was really cool to see like what their perspective is on racing and kind of, yeah, stepping outside of our comfort zone a bit and, and seeing things in a different way. And, um, yeah, super cool. How Trinity is a young team. Is that correct? Like mm-hmm. in terms of the, yeah. the longevity of how long Trinity has been around. Um, how, yeah. so you, you, when you rock up to a race now, 
how many riders? I'm going to go through bullet point. How many riders are showing up at, say, World Cup? I'm so, I don't know any races. Albstadt. Is yeah, that yeah. the name of a yeah, place? Yeah, nice. How'd I do? <laughs> like on the start line, is that what you mean? Uh, on the, I'm going to make up a day. On the Tuesday before the race, as people are beginning to roll in, mm-hmm. how many, so right, not on the start line per se, but how many riders do you have from Trinity Racing that weekend? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think we had at the World Cups, we had four riders. So we had me and Chris, who were me, Chris, and Chiara, who were the three. Um, Chiara's from Italy. She was also, we were all three elite ri- racers. Me and Chris, it was our first year elite. And I think Chiara, it was her second or third year elite. And then we had one junior guy on the team from Brazil. So he was, he was a blast to have around too. So, um, and then our team's UK based. So we had most of the staff around us was UK. Uh, but yeah, it's the four of us preparing for our races and because, oh, I guess, no, Alex is an under 23 rider. So his race was, we, all of us elite riders were on the same day. And then he had the race either earlier in the morning than us or the day before. Okay. So talking three to four riders, how many mechanics is that? Yeah. About two, usually two. Yeah. Or yeah, usually two. How many Swanee physios? Uh, We would usually have, I think, we usually have one physio on Trinity and then somebody that was helping with cooking and and kind of the other ins and outs. Do you have, taking a step back, maybe they're not their day of, maybe this exists, maybe it doesn't. Does your team have like a team nutritionist? Yeah, that was kind of what our, our, we had a cook that was kind of playing that role and making sure that we had everything that we need, like carbs, macros, that kind of thing, pre-race and making sure we were eating the right things. But I think I, I personally have a, a, my own nutritionist. So I'd kind of give some input about, okay, like, yeah, for me, I've learned a lot about just fueling based on my, my cycle, my menstrual cycle. So I think I was just kind of adding some of that. Okay. These are a couple of the foods that I want to implement you know, during this week or these days or something like that. So there's definitely a lot of communication, like both ways about, about what the individual riders needs are. And I think that was what they were kind of confused out. Cause I think just like as road racers, it seems like you do a lot of, you just do like, as you, as the whole team is doing, cause there's so many of you, but I think for, because for us, it's, it's because it's such an individual sport and we race for an hour and a half max. It seems like we all have our own little, like weird, things and they like our special little breakfast or like the exact like bottles that we're filling up. So we were all like doing our bottles and stuff. And they're like, what the heck? Like we can be like, they were just so confused. Like, like so it's funny just like seeing the different perspectives and how even though road and mountain are so similar, they're also yeah. so, so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, definitely from the roadside, it's, it's more robotic. It's you're supposed to do, yeah. you're supposed to be homogenous. You're supposed to do what your teammates yes. do. You don't want to stand out. Um, totally. It was interesting. The, I'd say sort of the beginning of my career was a big time that specifically going gluten-free was, was, uh, yeah. was a popular move, whether or not you were celiac mm-hmm. just to make that choice. And to be on an Italian team at the time, I mean, that was sacrilege just because pasta and bread is everything. And so I'm yeah. certainly not celiac, but I was trying out a couple of different diets. And yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I was looked at like I had two different heads. Um, like you were crazy. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, it was probably to be hard, more challenging to be gluten free back then as well, because now it's like the norm and everything, you know, they've got breads and packages now. So I can't imagine, especially on the Italian beef, they were like, what are you doing with the good stuff? <laughs> it was fascinating. And now in hindsight, it's like, well, yeah, I was probably giving up some exceptional pasta in order to eat a bowl of rice, give or yeah. take that relationship. But it was also the same time that the team skies of the world would have a team chef with like, you know, 15 different options, yeah. you know, you pick between three different carbs and three different proteins and three different wow. whatever's. And ours was like, no pasta, more <laughs> pasta. It's, it was interesting times. Um, yeah, totally. Wow. Now, now speaking of interesting times, you, I feel like the past couple of years have been interesting for you in that you had a successful U23 career and you basically made the segue from U23 to a successful first year elite amid a pandemic mm -hmm. now. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, way broad question. What has it been like dipping your toe in the elites, finding success and doing it all amid a global pandemic? Yeah, that's so true. I think, I think when I was, I did a bit differently than a lot of us riders is I actually went and traveled to Europe and like basically based in Europe for the full 90 days that I could during like during 2020. Um, because I was like, okay, if I can, like, if everybody's racing there, if I can just like go there, find a home base and like live exactly like I would at home, but still like go to the races like that, I think it would be okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I think we knew enough then about like wearing masks and stuff, but I was definitely like, really going for it. I'm not sure if it was a good idea or not, but I was able to do a lot of races still. And I think I learned a lot during that time because it was the season that nobody really cared about. It was just like, okay, who was there? Like, all right. But I was able to learn a lot and make mistakes and stuff. So I think because I was able to go for it and like, I learned a lot about just, yeah, racing again, consistently to be on the podium. I think that's different than just like racing to do your best, but like trying to consistently win or consistently be a top rider is another mindset. So I think being able to do that and I raced the Swiss Epic with Annika. So that was really cool. Like being really close with one of the best riders in the world at the time and seeing like how powerful and strong she was, was definitely eye-opening. And then I think also having, I had a lot of time off school because I, uh, yeah, classes were online. I took a couple online and I was like, oh gosh, I'm just going to like commit to this Olympic thing. And like, I was in Santa Cruz, California and I just trained for a full, full winter. So after the season ended, gosh, in like October in, or like, yeah, October, I think we had world championships in 2020. So a lot later than usual. And, um, yeah, I just like went, went into training and yeah, I think I just was really motivated for the Olympic, the Olympic goal. I think that was really big for me. And then um, I just, everything kind of lined up to prepare for that really, really well. Yeah. Where, uh, thinking specifically, where did you end up for that call it 90 day period when you were calling Europe home, where were you? Yeah, mostly Austria actually. So I had a physio on specialized racing that lived in Austria and she was traveling, I think during the time, um, with her family, but she basically, yeah, I basically stayed in her home for a large, large chunk of it, which was amazing. And then um, yeah. And then just joined up my, with my team basically and, and would travel to the races. And like, that was my first year on specialized. So they were based in Europe. 
um, which was really helpful as well because yeah, being on a team that's not based in Europe and trying to race there is definitely a whole nother ball game. So I was lucky that I could just kind of hop on and, um, and do what they were doing yep. during the races. Yeah. How you've, you, you reached your goal. You talked about being 14 years old and saying, you know what, I want to go to the Olympics <laughs> in this sport. And then fast forward, so funny. uh, not quite a decade later in your life. And there you are at the Olympics. Yeah. Top U.S. finisher, ninth place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that culmination like? Yeah, gosh, it actually was the Olympics for me. I think it's definitely hard to explain because I think it is such a mental, like you're like so shocked and you really go through, like for me, that was exactly my thought process is like, oh my gosh, I was 14 when I had this dream or this like kind of developed in my head. And like, here I am living that one thing, like all in between, you know, you have all these races and this process that you could never envision at 14 and it's way harder than you think it's going to be. And, um, there's going to be all other, you know, these highs and lows you can't predict, but the Olympics is something everybody knows. And I, I knew of when I was 14. So I think to be there living, that was definitely a a time warp thing. It was like a wow, life goes fast. Oh my gosh. I need to like (laughs) live my, my life fully kind of moment. Uh Um, but it was, I think, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, that process of in high school and just being very focused and, and having set that dream. And I think that having goals like that and having something I really wanted to accomplish definitely just like kept me focused throughout that whole time, you know, balancing school and doing all these things and enjoying the sport so much. I think I just, it was easy for me to go to bed at night just because that was what I wanted to achieve, you know? And it was easy to, yeah, just like do the work and run out, get outside. And yeah, it's hard at times. Like you don't want to go out in the pouring rain and like, (laughs) just like go suffer for a while. But, um, yeah, I think I just, I had that goal in mind and I think now it's kind of a reset of like, okay, what's the next goal? Like, why do I do this? Like I'm here at this first one and, and what's the next. And, um, and yeah, again, like, okay, why do I do this? What do I want to accomplish? You know, what are the, the big goals? And, so yeah, definitely checking that first one off and, and having a result that I'm happy and proud with, but still like wanted more and, um, think that I'm capable of more. It's definitely, it is that never ending cycle, you mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. but I still love it. So it's, yeah, it's been good. It is kind of crazy that no matter where you are coming out of an Olympic games, this is speaking as, as an observer, having never raced the Olympics, if you have the best result ever and you win the race, then you're looking Mm -hmm. forward to winning your next one with the exception of the possibility of retiring the next day. If you get second place, you know, they talk about the second place is, is that's the most heartbreaking. If you get third place, then you're psyched. You're on the podium, but then you know, you're capable (laughs) of more fourth place is bummed. They're not on the podium. You, for example, got ninth. I don't know where your expectations Mm -hmm. were. Maybe you wanted top 10 and boom, you got there, but now, you know, yeah, you can fight for something better and better. Yeah. Uh, that's observation complete. The question is, yeah, I think you're right. You're just spot on. <laughs> what are, what are your career hopes, dreams, expectations? Like you are what, I think 23 years old right now. Like what do you want out of the sport? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I've, I've definitely learned a lot about myself during this time. And I think that's what sport allows you to do. It's very forced introspection and life, you know, <laughs> thinking, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think for me, like 
a lot of the inspiration from sport is not just the results, but it's being able to um, be like a specific athlete. And I think that, sorry, I think my roommates are coming back. So I'm just going to go to a quiet spot. Um, I can hear my daughter being put to sleep and she's crying. So good little segue right here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Paul, I'll go outside. It's a nice day. No, I just, uh, gosh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. I think my goals are also just like the type of athlete that I want to be. It's not just like the, the results that I have, but it's being able to be a specific type of rider on the day and to have the full skill set of a mountain biker, like having the skills to descend incredibly well. And I think, um, one of my big inspiration is Elliot Kipchoge, like the, the marathon runner, the absolute legend. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I read, like, listened to one of his interviews where he, they were like, Oh, like you think you can win this race? Like, obviously you're the number one guy. And he's like, I just want to have a beautiful race. You know, that was it. Like that was the answer. And I was like, I think that that really like definitely grabbed onto me a bit is I think that is like the goal of being an athlete is you want to be able to go out there and have this incredible performance where it's fun for everybody to watch. And it's this amazing experience to live out because you feel the flow when you're descending, you feel invincible on the climbs and you've worked hard enough to have that full performance. And I think for me, it's, it's being able to do that and, and accomplish something that's really incredible. And I think that's part of like why I work so hard every day. It's not just like, Oh, I want to win. It's that I want to be able to like perform in this specific way. And I want to like be able to climb at this speed with this position, you know, and I want that whole like experience. And I think I also want to be a more consistent rider that someday can be like a legend, you know, that's like the goal. And I don't know if that's like fully achievable. You have to be able to like step back and be accepting of other things. But I think for me, it's, yeah, I just, yeah, I want to live my life most fully. And I think this is what makes me feel the most alive and um, gives me, yeah, a lot of joy and satisfaction. So yeah, I'll keep it up as long as I'm enjoying it and having fun. That's so rad. Um, I was, I was ruminating over this question and you sort of just hit it perfectly there. Um, (laughs) so here in 2021, looking Mm -hmm. back in the season you've had, you had some incredible successes, you know, podiums, wins, top American, Mm -hmm. the Olympics, often the, the biggest result that, that gets um, associated with an individual one has a, has a one next to it because you've, you've won the race or had great success. Mm-hmm. And it's, but the, the point is that's on a piece of paper and that's what the observers see. But then mm-hmm. sometimes a race that doesn't have a good tangible result is as a personal, huge victory, um, <laughs> or something, you know, you've achieved something in the race, you've overcome some, some setback, um, you know, maybe you have two flat tires and you finish still within the top 10, something crazy like that. Totally. Are there any races specifically in your career that you can think of that, that maybe the result doesn't speak for itself, but something incredible happened over the course of the day that you're personally really proud of? Yeah. So gosh, I mean, I think every athlete has their like little challenge or their little, little thing, but mine is actually talking about like, just going back to 2020 a bit. I am kind of figured out that I have this thing called exercise induced laryngeal obstruction, or it's also called vocal cord dysfunction, which is where your vocal cords actually close up on your airways while you're under maximal exertion. 
So like I would be like, I, I, and this would happen to me a lot. I'd be like fully wheezing or it sounded like an asthma attack, but like in my mind, I was like totally calm. I thought it was normal. Like I thought racing was just really, really hard. And like even racers at the end would be like, uh, Haley, I think you have asthma. They'd like hand me their inhalers and stuff and be like, Haley, like, bro, this is like not okay. And the main thing is like my parents, right? It's like when they see me finish a race and I'm like super pale and like kind of out of it, you know, like not really with it because I've basically been hyperventilating the whole race. They're like, Haley, this isn't healthy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a little scary and weird at, at times. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely over the winter before 2020, I kind of like explored this and there's a doctor that specializes it in it in Denver. And then, um, I've been working with a great allergist in Santa Cruz. So I spent a lot of that time in 2020 kind of realizing how loud my breathing was. And I think at that level, you can't really sacrifice anything. So you realize like, yeah, maybe you're on the podium, but like the difference between third or fourth and a win can be those really small margins. And for me, this was like a larger margin where I could feel the difference from like racing really well and feeling really good and having this like weird, bizarre thing happening, mostly in my allergy season. So after doing like a lot of work and having that year to like make mistakes and stuff, um, I started the 2021 season. I was like, okay, I got this. Like I'm a new athlete. I feel incredible. And I went to Europe to do some races before the first world's cup. And it was awful. Like it was so bad. And I was like racing really, I felt awful, like totally empty and like breathe. My breathing was just as bad. And so it was like so frustrating because I'd done all this extra work to like not have this problem anymore. And I think my main problem is I was thought it would go away. Like I'd have the fix, you know, I'd be like this perfect athlete someday instead of realizing that it is really part of like who I am. And I have to learn how to like breathe, like use different breathing techniques and um, yeah, kind of manage it in different ways. Cause that's the athlete I am. And so I think literally before all the shot, having had this awful race and kind of like, God, how long can I like pretend that I can do this anymore? Yeah. And like feeling like shit. And then like afterwards, like it literally all came together and I had like this incredible race at Alpstadt and it was like literally like weekends different of like, wow, like, yeah. So just having gone through like a lot of work and like questioning whether or not like my body could do what my mind really wanted to do and then being able to like come out and like fully do it. I think that's why I was so emotional after the finish at Alpstadt because I was like, holy shit, like I belong uh -huh. in this top group of racers. Like I can do this. And just the night and day difference was pretty, pretty bizarre. So that's, that's my little athlete thing that I'm working on. <laughs> oh man. I wish I were hanging out with you yeah. in person right now and like give you a high five. That's such a cool, <laughs> it's such a cool example. Like there, there are oftentimes, I can't think of other examples off the top of my head, but that, that little, the lock that you need to figure out the key to yeah. unlock. And all of a sudden it's just like, yes, you've achieved something. I mean, it's almost totally. the video gamification of life where you're like, yeah. Achievement reached. Yeah. Go to the next goal. Yeah. And it's funny, like, yeah, my strength coach and I were talking just because I think that as athletes, we're always trying to challenge ourselves. We're like, oh, how can I do another interval or how can I like do more time in the gym or something? But every time we have a challenge that we don't control, we're like, oh, why did this? I'm so unlucky. Like, why did this happen to me? But those are the things that like make your body change the most in your mind like have this most the most growth or like really the challenges you don't choose and it's how you adapt to those and really like embrace them and take on the opportunity to like grow and change that make the biggest difference and I think that's 
yeah, I mean, sport teaches you that life teaches you that, but I think it's definitely the mindset that you have towards your challenges. That makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well said. Um, (laughs) Thinking of training, I mean, you know, there you are, you're outside on the porch. It is early November. I'm here in Vermont. We still got green grass and everything is beautiful. You, I know you're in school and and that Mm -hmm. is going to create a certain ebb and flow to a season. Um, I mean, you're putting a, a, very concerted amount of effort into education for the next few months. What is the mm-hmm. ebb and flow of your, of your training look like over the course of the year? I mean, and then, you know, specifically like right this moment, how much of your time are you able to dedicate to athletics versus ath- academics? Yeah, totally. So right now, like this November 1st, I started training, training again. And that for me is just like, getting back on the bike every day, especially like having done one full course in October without class really, and just like going on hikes and running when I can and like doing whatever I feel like. And also resting a lot because that's super important. I was like, oh gosh, like then to replan your whole day to like, okay, how can I fit in two hours? And like, okay, now three, like, where do I plan this in? So luckily, like it it really is like, it's honestly so good for me. I think my body needs the exercise and the structure. Um, but I realize like I can almost fit in just as much as anybody else. Like we all need our breaks during the day. So my break is my training and everybody else also needs like two hours off. So I can almost do just as much as any, everybody else can in school. But yeah, I basically right now my course is one to four. So I wake up, I try and get on the bike at nine and train. And then I try and do some studies and like eat good food. I'm trying to like work on meal planning and making sure I have like good options in the mm-hmm. house, which is kind of hard to do sometimes because mm-hmm. it takes more time, but that's what I'm working on. And then, yeah, I run to class at one, I'm there till four. And then after that, it's kind of, yeah, trying to get prepared to do more schoolwork and then uh, go to bed early. But yeah, that's mostly, mostly my day right now. And I think right, like getting closer to December, or January, I'll, definitely I'll have a break for the holidays. So that's a good chance to like go home to the sunshine and like see how much training I can get in. But November, January, like it definitely, like it's already getting super rainy and cold here. So I'll be definitely like on Zwift a lot. And that's super efficient for school is just like running home, like hopping on the trainer and it's a super quality workout too. Mm -hmm. And heat training as well. So that like definitely January, I think January, 2019, I was on the trainer every day for a month in January. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just, but like when you're, it's funny. Cause when you're so busy, you're actually like, okay, sweet. Like I can just get a quick hour and a half and it'll yep. be like perfect <laughs> yep. cause you're so busy. But, um, also like, I'll definitely try and get out as much as I can just cause the trails here are so good and so technical. So I try and stay outside for as long as possible and get that in on the weekends. But yeah, I think December to like January, I'll try and go Nordic skiing in Whistler and get some skiing and kind of just do other stuff. So yeah, that's kind of my plan right now. And then the season starts in end of March and April. So yeah, we'll be back to, to World's Cup racing. You talked about the Nordic skiing. Uh, mm-hmm. You're obviously not hell-bent on 100% bike riding training exclusively uh the question being do you mm-hmm. do much gym work in the off season do you do you mix yeah. it up in other ways yeah 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 so i'm also doing like right now i'm doing about three days a week in the gym and then i'm also trying to get into the bouldering gym quite a bit as well we have one at quest so nice. that's kind of my new the skill that i want to learn so I'm, I'm trying to do that and the cool thing about climbing is that it really forces you to be in really good positions while you're doing things like in gym you can kind of go and like 
lift a weight and do it with horrible form. Sure. So I think the cool thing about climbing is it forces you to build strength in a lot of areas, but also you have to really focus on, on form and things that are beneficial on the bike as well. So I'm excited about that because it's kind of puzzle got to, and learning a new skill always feels super good. It's when you suck at something and then it like that, that quick, like ramp where you're learning it. So I'm excited about that, but right now I absolutely suck. So we'll see how I am by the end of the winter, but yeah, three days a week in the gym. And then one of those days are, um, are in the, in the bouldering gym, if I can make that happen. Nice. Well, yeah, yeah. you've got a very cool perspective on how it all fits together. I mean, that's such a good testament of, 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 you know, where does bouldering fit into your bigger academic, uh, athletic career? Uh, <laughs> totally. but I mean, yeah, it's easy to be robotic. It's easy to obsess about bikes only. And it's good yeah. to be a little well, bit more think, well-rounded. Yeah. I read that book range by David Epstein, I think. And yeah. it talks about just like how you need a lot of skills to specialize. And so I'm just trying to embrace that like Nordic skiing and doing other sports. And I, I think academics as well, like it teaches my brain to be super focused. And I'm also, because I'm studying the mind, I learn a lot about like how people learn and how our memory works and how like, you know, focus and that kind of thing. So it all like really comes together, I think, in, in being a good athlete or whatever I want to achieve. So I kind of, yeah, I try and like dip my toes in other things and challenge myself and step outside the box in my comfort zone a lot. Um, and sometimes it's super embarrassing. It's awkward, but I try and go for it. I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, in an effort to allow you to get back to academia or training or whatever <laughs> you need to do right now, uh, I'm going to wrap with three questions. So, oh gosh. Okay. I, I, I've read that you visited 18 countries. Um, mm -hmm. first question, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Oh my gosh. It has to be Squamish. Yeah. Squamish BC. It's incredible. And I think also what's so cool about it is that it changes your normal of what's possible skills wise, because yeah. the level of riding here is so high that it definitely puts me in my place often of like, yeah, okay, I'm good at mountain biking, but I'm not that good. So <laughs> I think having that like humble perspective is, is good. And it's also so fun and cool terrain here. So yeah, yeah it's my number one. Awesome. Uh, number one place you would like to go that you've never ridden a bike. Oh gosh. Well, honestly, I think I want to go back to Japan or Thailand because I got just a little taste of it from the Olympics, but I think that I didn't get the full experience. So I'd love to go back someday. Yep. Perfect answer. Japan's right. Tip top yeah. of my list. Um, yeah. and lastly, with whom living or otherwise fictitious or non who would you like to go for a bike ride with? Oh gosh. Huh. I think I'd like to go on a bike ride with my, my mom's dad, my grandpa who died when I was super young, but he was, I've always heard incredible stories about like what an adventure he was and how, um, yeah, so many people inspired were inspired by him and looked up to him. So I think he's just a family person that I'd always wished I got to know. So I think that would be a, a cool, cool experience. Perfect. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for the great questions. So great to chat with you. Pleasure. That was a hoot. That was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, yeah, really nice <laughs> to formally meet you and spend some time with you. Uh, I wish you an awesome off season and even better 2022. Yeah. Thanks so much. And maybe I'll be in Vermont sometime. We can go for a ride. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. That'd be awesome. 
Cool. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs>